Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, November 28, 2023, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-host, Anastasia. And just a reminder that Mercury will be going retrograde on December 13th, and the pre-shadow of that is beginning now. So if you're planning on buying anything electronic for Christmas, make sure you do your shopping early to avoid possible technical glitches and make sure you send your packages before it goes retrograde too. One of our favorite guests, Craig Campobasso, returns tonight with his newest work, the UFO Hotspot Compendium, all the places to visit before you die or are abducted. It will take you on your own bucket list trip to 35 of the most remarkable UFO hotspots, places where aliens and cryptids are spotted, forbidden locations, as well as terrifying places only the brave dare to visit. It shares details on the latest facts behind the legendary UFO cases, the when, where, story, investigations, and things to do when visiting the site. The book is based on first-hand information gleaned from MUFON's trained investigators and researchers, interviews with people who have had extraordinary <clears throat> excuse me, UFO experiences, and the author's personal travel to many of the locations. Included are MUFON's top places known for the most UFO sightings, legendary places known for UFO activity, alien kitsch sites, sites that have the added benefit of sacred retreats, and places you might not want to visit but should know about. From the Skinwalker and Bradshaw ranches to Area 51 to Joshua Tree's Giant Rock and Integratron, the UFO Hotspot Compendium will be a hit with true believers, the mildly curious, and those intrigued by all things off-planet. It guides readers to experience the wonder and sometimes terror of an alien abduction, a spaceship crash, or a UFO sighting from the safety of their own home. Craig is offering a holiday special for 50% off of an autographed copy. You can find this and other great E.T. books by Craig, like his last one, The E.T. Species Almanac, and the Autobiography of an E.T. Trilogy. And you can find those books at his website, autobiographyofanet.com forward slash other books. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest and hope to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. And if you'd like to show your support of our show, please just click follow on our show page. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session. We are now offering a new daily transit service to help you navigate planetary energies, and it comes with everything you need to be your own pilot 
even if you know little or nothing about astrology. You just go to starseedhotline.com and click the box on the bottom right that says personalized daily transit service. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of great manifestation power. You find out exactly when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And you can order that a week or two before your birthday. But if you want a reading of that chart, please order about two months before your birthday. So first up, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful, fascinating Starseed News. (laughs) Well, thank you, Ariella. It's great to be with all of you tonight. It's terrific. It's going to be a really interesting program, too. I yeah. love the way you wrote up the um, the introduction. I thought it was good to follow, you know, make a bucket list of things that you might want to experience before you're dead or abducted. Had to laugh <laughs> yeah. That's really, really cute. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, it's going to be a fun show. So let me do my part here to lead up into it. And we've got some pretty interesting news stories. Um, this, uh, boy, millionaires in the United Kingdom have implored, begged and pleaded the the U.K. government to tax them. That's right. A courtier of British millionaires this week implored the U.K. government to introduce a wealth tax amid deteriorating public services and the highest tax burden in generations. Public services are going downhill. People are paying more taxes. The wealthy say, here we are, choose us. They're asking for a 2% tax on those with more than $10 million, 10 million pounds a year could raise 22 billion pounds for government coffers every year, according to the activist group in the U.K. called Patriotic Millionaires U.K. Wow. Organization projected calls for a wealth tax onto the Treasury building in London this week ahead of the government's autumn statement, their financial statement. One of the members said, for a better Britain, our government should prioritize taxing those of us who can most afford it. It's an outbreak of common sense. Why would they want to do that? Because actually, in the end, there was no outbreak of common sense because no such tax is forthcoming in the statement, in their financial reports. Despite a poll finding that three-quarters of Brits support one. However, the minimum wage was hiked up to an increase of one pound that will go into effect next April. So there you have it. They're begging to be taxed. Nothing yet. What do you, what do you say? What can you say about that? And speaking of millionaires, check this out. Some of you might have heard this. This will get the smoke rolling out of your ears, I suppose. An investigation by the well-known group Oxum revealed that, revealed that the richest 1% of humanity belched out more emissions in 2019 than the poorest 66%. more emissions than the poorest 66%. They say that doesn't sound like good news, but perhaps, if we don't follow the UK's uh, example, it might uh, pave the way for targeted climate solutions. That is, according to prominent French economist man, uh, in an interview with the Guardian newspaper, he said that identifying the class inequality at the heart of the climate crisis could lead to targeted policies aimed at the biggest polluters, averting a black backlash from ordinary citizens. 
I wonder if that might persuade the state of California not to ban gas-powered lawnmowers. Who's to say? But anyway, this expert suggested a progressive carbon tax and a ban on private jets, which would become a totem for the uber-wealthy and a bane on the environment. Research suggests that private jets are up to 14 times more polluting than commercial planes per passenger and up to 50 times more polluting than trains. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have to put class and the studies of inequality between social classes right at the center of our analyses of environmental challenges in general, according to this uh, uh, expert, this French economist. And I say, yes, you go for it. Yeah. It's, it's really astonishing that the privileged are just, it, they say they're yachts, they're private planes that I just mentioned, they're mansions, many, many properties, all of them well-lit, staffed with everything imaginable, the heaters going all the time, the air conditioners, the, their cars, their uh, recreation, their uh, everything. Um, they're big parties, they're just, they're just huge consumers, and uh, huge you know, the 1% of humanity is putting out more emissions than the other 66%. So, wow. Yeah, I think maybe that's time for a change. Okay, so also, here's some good news. Now, the UN has warned, that's not the good news, but the UN has warned that the world is on track to warm by more than 3 centigrade without aggressive climate action. But the slither of good news is that, according to modeling by Australian scientists, Plants will absorb more of our emissions than we previously thought. They say that plants take up a substantial amount of carbon dioxide every year, thereby slowing down the detrimental effects of climate change. But the extent to which they will continue this CO2 uptake into the future has been uncertain. They say that most existing models ignored the three critical physiological mechanisms associated with photosynthesis. Now, why would they do that? These models are supposed to be by scientists. Why would they ignore this? But apparently they did. And what they ignored was uh, that the, uh, they found out that the more complex modeling that takes all of the three elements of photosynthesis into, into consideration uh, projects a stronger increase of vegetation that will take up uh, carbon across the planet. So add a very elementary thing that you just happen to leave out of your studies, and we find out that, lo and behold, the plants will consume more carbon. So they have begun to figure how uh, efficiently the carbon dioxide moves through the leaves, how plants just happen to adjust to temperature changes. They're very intelligent and capable at that, and how plants, and they're all different, distribute their nutrients. He said these are three really important plant response mechanisms that affect a plant's ability to fix carbon, yet they are commonly ignored in most global models. He said, so while we know this and we know they'll do more for us and for the planet, we still need to urgently reduce our emissions. And then we can go back to the uber-wealthy and uh, do some things with that as well. Okay, well, the gender gap is shrinking in science. That's according to an analysis of scientific papers by Stanford University. Its researchers looked at the most cited authors across all scientific disciplines. They found that men outnumbered women 3.93 times among those who started publishing before 1992, but only 
5.36 times among authors who started publishing after 2011. He says, our work documents substantial shrinkage over time of the inequalities between men and women in the top echelons of scientific impact. There's substantial room for improvements in most scientific fields. However, there is improvement. Now, the fact is, a lack of female representation in science is a problem for the world because the UN has warned that a lack of gender equality is likely holding back solutions in areas ranging from the climate crisis to health because women are very resourceful and they're very good at making things work and helping people come together and they have the element of compassion and other wonderful female traits. But the good news is that is shrinking and it's good to have more women in science. That's terrific. So there it is. And in England, seabird numbers have soared on a particular island. Um, the uh, it reached an extraordinary rise in seabird numbers, they reported this week. This is about puffins. Puffins are adorable birds, by the way. Manx shearwaters and storm petrels, most of those we are not familiar with, have soared on the island of Lundy thanks to efforts to eradicate rats, which arrived there as stowaways. Isn't that interesting? An invasive species such as rats got back on the natural seabirds on this island. Now, according to the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, the shearwater population has soared from about 600, uh, let's see, 20 years ago, to more than 25,000 today. Now, this is rare good news when it comes to ecology in the U.K., one of the world's most nature-depleted nations. Uh, One conservation officer said, if we can restore over 30,000 birds to one small island in the Bristol Channel, just imagine how much could be achieved if everyone came together to restore all of nature right across the U.K. Awesome. People's heads are funny getting in the right place, you know. It's it's good. It's excellent. Now, here's, you guys are not going to believe this. Some of you already know this. But this is one of those things that I read, and I'm going to share with you, and you're going to go, what? I didn't even know we did that. So here it is. For years, the European countries have shipped plastic waste overseas to poor nations for them to deal with. Give it to the poor people. <laughs> Can you believe they've been doing this? Oh my. I, that's a no-brainer. I can't imagine, but that's what they've done. Well, not for much longer. After the EU agreed to ban exports of plastic waste to countries outside of the OECD group of mostly rich nations. What can you say to that? Anyway, the expert uh, said, uh, the European Parliament, by the way, a member of the European Parliament, a Dane, said, I quote, the EU will finally assume responsibility for its plastic waste by banning its export to non-OECD countries. Once again, we follow our vision that waste is a resource when it is properly managed. Does anybody see the irony in that? Follow Well, I'm glad they got their vision. That's good. The EU is set to implement a raft of new laws to scale up the circular economy. The waste, what does that mean? Well, the waste export ban has yet to be approved by the European Council, and it comes as nations meet in Nairobi, in Kenya, to thrash out a global treaty on plastics pollution. At least the countries of the world are beginning to grapple with all of this stuff. Um, good. That's good. But yeah. I couldn't believe, I had no idea that the rich countries were 
They're sending our garbage to people who are least able to deal with it and who don't pollute hardly anything at all. Yeah, talk about sweeping oh. it under the rug. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Pretend it's not Man. there. You know, all these years I've just despised plastic and resented it every moment and feel guilty for getting anything. Like a head of lettuce is wrapped in plastic and I'm kind of fuming about it. What are you going to do? But on some level, okay, I don't know it consciously, but on some level I must have known that this is mounting <laughs> up to, you know, mountains and mountains are being shipped off to poor countries and it's mishandled and, you know, on some level well, in our souls. If, if, if I could interject if I could interject here, yes. um in probably across the country, the the hefty garbage bag people have come up with a recycling program for those hard to recycle plastics, uh, like oh, anything yeah. like one, two, and plastic one, two, and three. Those are handled by normal, you know, recycling pickup. But they sell these orange bags in in the grocery store, Walmart. And, um, like, you know, in my town, there's a, a, a recycling center. And the last time I was there, I thought, oh, they take the hefty bags. So they're, they're orange bags, and you can put any, you know, like stuff that comes off of the lettuce or, you know, uh, produce bags, any wow. kind of plastic, you know, number five, they take styrofoam, yeah, will take. Yeah. bubble wrap, you know, all of that stuff. So I just, I just keep a... a a container, and I put all my plastic in there that they can't be recycled any other way. And then I just take it, you know, every couple of weeks or a month um, to the recycling center. So for people that really want to, uh, like you, that wow. just, you know, loathe having to throw plastic in a garbage that's going to end up in a landfill, um, the hefty bag people, and it's only right. Well, you know, think about I mean, all the hefty bags that are sitting in landfills. So they're doing well, something about it. Hey, everybody out there, you heard it first on Starseed News. There's Ariel <laughs> giving you the scoop. <laughs> that is tremendous. And I don't know why I never heard of that. I don't know if they're notifying that in certain locales. Uh, did they advertise this? Did they announce this in the public? Were there any public notices about this I, by hefty I, I got or a, anything? I got a thing in the mail. Announcing that, and wow. this been you know a year or more, or probably two wow. years ago. And I, so I'm going to look uh, into this and see. Some states may be excluded. I didn't hear a word about it, but that is tremendous. Well, yeah, just go to really. the. It's called Renew. Hefty Renew. R e n e w. Everybody. Renew. Right. Yeah. So you can you By can hefty. go look and you know if your community has a recycling center. Um, I was thrilled to see that that the, that the. Um, they were they had the a container. Bags. They had a they had a big dumpster for the orange bags filled with all kinds of plastic. Wow. I want to thank yeah. anybody in this industry that's involved with recycling. Bless all of you. Somebody has to do this for us. Bless your hearts. <laughs> that that is tremendous. That's just I'm excited about. It. Thank you, Ariel. See, this is why y'all need to listen to Starseed News. That's great. <laughs> that, that is one of the most important things I think we've ever had on this show. That's tremendous. We ought to remind them from time to time, and I will look that up and see what I can find out and report on that, uh, you know, if I find anything uh, extra so that the next yeah. uh, next yeah. week or next couple of weeks, yeah. anybody and, misses and this Walmart, show will hear it again. Walmart yeah. also has collection bins for um, plastic bubble wrap and, and that stuff that you can't recycle in a normal 
you know, okay. that's recycling programs. So, that, so yeah, if you don't have know. the hefty, if you don't have the hefty renew pickup somewhere, you know, around your location, uh, there's always good old Walmart. Yeah. Well, bless their hearts for that, really. Speaking yeah. of Walmart, do you know that research has trashed Black Friday? Uh, now, this, again, is a U.K. story, but analysis by a U.K.'s consumer group revealed that this week, uh, revealed that uh, on Black Friday week, last week, most deals offered on Black Friday are bogus. Now, the good news is, supposedly, that there's an international rebellion against Black Friday's hollow consumerism that appears to be growing, not in the least form of something they call do-nothing day. So, for Black <laughs> Friday, there's seven things to do instead of buying stuff. Now, I realize this is after the fact, but, you know, they're going to be bugging you to buy stuff all the way till Christmas, so I'm going to share this with you tonight. Um, so, anyway, uh, by the way, they analyzed the more than 200 Black, Fr- uh, Black Friday offers at uh, eight retailers, including Amazon. Um, they found that 98% were, were cheaper or the same price at other times other than Black Friday. So, on any other day, prices were cheaper than Black Friday. Go figure. Okay, so... Uh, the things you can do, you can buy nothing, actively choose to buy nothing. Um, that is something called Buy Nothing Day. It's an international um, objection to against consumerism. It began in Vancouver, Canada in 1992 when the artist Ted Dave decided that we needed a day for society to examine the issue of overconsumption. Well, it may not have caught on in this country, but it's big in the U.K., Sweden, and other European nations, the active Buy Nothing Day. And the other thing we can do to fight consumerism is get something repaired. If we have a, uh, a problem with a hole in our garments, well, we just need a needle and thread. We can take a stand against the throwaway culture. We can upcycle our ripped jeans with a few stitches. Uh, we can um, use some glue to repair a broken USB charger or a hole in our shoes. We could even take our broken electronics to one of the many repair stores and uh, try to get them fixed maybe donate them for recycling, uh, anything, you know, to see what you can pass it on or uh, give it to somebody else who might be able to get some good out of it. Now, the other thing they say that we can do in rebellion to the consumerism is just simply turn everything off. Everybody wants to advertise to you, so you uh, just turn everything off. (laughs) Um, Turn off the TV, get off the Internet, uh, don't look at your phone, uh, you're a target for ads and for that kind of influence to get you to want to buy something. So the other thing you can do is plant some bulbs for spring. I like that one. I thought that was a great idea. It's the antithesis of instant gratification, which is something people are so hooked on. Not only do they want to buy something to fill the void, they want to get it tomorrow. They want it overnight, maybe today. I want it now. I want to feel better. I want it now. Well, if we put some bulbs in the soil, now will mean we'll have some beautiful blooms when winter's over. And so that's what makes Black Friday the best time to plant tulips. Coincidentally, it's a great time to plant tulips. The other thing we can do, this is a good one, give things away. Clutter. We all accumulate clutter, 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 whether it's clothes, toys, or books. We aren't going to read it again. We tell ourselves we will, but we don't. So rather than leaving all this stuff to gather dust or feed moths, why not bundle them into a bag and drop them off at a charity shop? Wonderful. You get breathing space, better chi in your house, better energy in your life, better outlook. You're learning new habits to share and give away and not 
cling and grasp and hold on to stuff. It's good for everybody and everything. The other thing we could do is swap stuff, a clothes swap. Now, I don't know of anything in my area that has a swap store, but in England that's a big deal. Uh, so they say even if you don't want to swap at a shop, maybe you've got some friends that you can swap your clothes with. So that's where you get something new, and she gets something new, and you haven't spent a penny. All right. <laughs> so creative ways to rebel against consumerism. I'm all for that, guys. I really am. Um, uh, we all need it so desperately. Well, speaking about consumerism and the, the theft of our data and the unauthorized sharing of our data and the terrible things they do with our information – the state of California, bless its heart, has signed the Delete Act. Privacy campaigners are celebrating last week, or this week, I beg your pardon, is California's Delete Act edges closer to law. The bill has been signed, but there's more. Uh, this Governor Gavin Newsom signed that bill. means residents will be able to request their personal information be deleted by all data brokers in the state. Too bad not across the country. Now, you know a data broker is a company that collects online personal data and sells it for big money to third parties. You are very profitable, people. Well, Californians already have the right to get their data deleted, but currently must approach each data broker. Oh, that's a bummer. That's too much work. It's your information. They make you work to get it back. Well, the Delete Act would oblige brokers to register with the California Privacy Protection Agency, which will establish an easy and free way for the citizens of California to request all brokers to delete their data through one single effort. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a great, tremendous digital rights group, described the law as a significant win for people. Unsurprisingly, advertisers oppose the law, but it will come into effect January of 2026. They get a little while longer to rough us up. But one day, they'll, they will be put into a corner. All right. Well, I've got one more story I'll share with you. Uh, actually, I've got a couple, but it's time to get wind this down. I want to talk to you about cats. Did you know, and I, I don't know, if we were in a big room, you could all raise your hands, and I could see how many heard this story. And if you've heard it, I apologize. But uh, did you know that cats communicate with their facial expressions a lot, not just a little, a lot? Um, many cat owners are used to interpreting their pet's feelings through meows and purrs, but the mysterious realm of feline communication is much deeper. A recent study has revealed cats' secret language, finding that these seemingly stoic creatures have approximately 300 various facial expressions to indicate their emotions, ranging from cute smirks to violent hissy faces. So when it comes to cracking the kitty code, a couple of women undertook this revealing study as part of their mission to deconstruct the complex world of cat-to-cat communication. Their laboratory was a cat cafe in Los Angeles, which housed a thriving colony of 53 cats. The researchers, this would be a fun job, you just sit back and drink coffee and watch the cats. The researchers were especially interested in the subtle expressions these cats displayed when engaging with their feline buddies after the cafe's doors closed for the night. Over the course of 10 months, 10 months, mind you, they methodically recorded 276 distinct facial expressions among the cat population. 
Each of these expressions was a combination of four of the 26 distinct facial motions, which included actions such as opened lips, dilated or constricted pupils, blinking, nose licks, and ear positions. Their findings revealed that 45% of these expressions indicated friendliness, while 37% clearly emanated anger. The remaining 18% were a mystery, falling into a murky area where interpretation could go either way. So deciphering exactly what cats were saying to each other was difficult. But some intriguing patterns did emerge. During friendly contact, cats' ears and whiskers tend to travel toward their fellow felines while they retreat these facial fissures features during antagonism. Additionally, narrowed pupils and lip-licking appeared as warning indications of an imminent tough encounter. The study mm-hmm. highlighted an intriguing example of a quick change in mood in which two cats went from a light-hearted friendship into a fierce fight. Following a thrilling round of play, one of the cats abruptly bent down and hissed before fleeing in a show of aggressive rage. A surprise conclusion arose in the midst of these feline mysteries. Humans, dogs, and other animals all have a common play face with cats. Really? Well, they say that this is the expression that has the corners of the mouth pushed back and the jaw relaxed, providing a warm and welcoming smile. There's tempting potential on the horizon as we negotiate the maze of cat expressions. Well, we don't yet have a cat-to-human expression translation software. These findings reflect an important step towards strengthening the link between cats and their humans. Understanding a cat's emotions and wantings and wants may become easier, result in deeper bonds and more informed decisions when adopting a new feline companion. And with each revelation, the curtain that shrouds the mysterious world of cats lifts a little higher, bringing us closer to really knowing and appreciating these animals' intricate, very intricate language. More insights into the world of cats may be revealed in the future, uncovering new secrets and strengthening our bond with these adorable creatures. Sometimes adorable, (laughs) sometimes not. But but there you have it. (laughs) So interesting things in the world. There's just never, there's no reason for anyone to ever be bored it's a wonderful <laughs> world, and there's so much cool stuff to learn and do and aspire to. And my wish for each one of you is that when you wake up in the morning, you are joyous to get out of your bed, that you greet the world with some joy in your heart, energy to live life to the fullest, enjoy your days, have satisfying evenings, and look forward to the next day that is a gift to you. Life is good. And from my heart to each one of you, everyone, much love. Thank you for having me, Ariel. I'll see you next time. Uh, uh, it, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Anastasia, for bringing us the Starseed News. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. All right. Okay. Good night. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we have Craig is in the house. I am in the house. I've been listening to the wonderful Anastasia. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. She she comes up with some really, really good things that that really stick. 
And it's like I, I remember yeah. things from years ago. It's like, oh, that's right. That was on the news. <laughs> so uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, well, we just we just got back from the Starseed Quest, which was wonderful. And uh, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. It was uh, really fun, really delicious. And, um, you know, it was just great to not have to think about anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you are enjoying myself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you certainly deserve a rest because you are you are always producing something, you know, whether it's a book, you know, your movie. And uh, for those that maybe are hearing you for the first time, I should uh, maybe preface that besides being a fantastic author writer, um, you also are a casting director and have been Emmy nominated. So um, you've got that hat to wear and then you've got your ET um, books and uh, a different persona. I mean, you've been on ancient aliens and um, just a very busy guy. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I was on uh, the actual season opener of Ancient Aliens earlier this year for uh, doing UFO Hotspots, which is my new MUFON book. And then I was also on the entire season of UFO Witness on the Travel Channel, um, talking about our little friends in the sky and Uh uh, also on a couple of episodes of Deep Space on Gaia their new season i think it's season four so yeah it's a it's a really good season it's all about extraterrestrials so you know when my when when the extraterrestrial uh species almanac came out all of a sudden everything started going all et everywhere all kinds of shows and all of that so it's it's very exciting yeah well and you have really been kind of ahead of your time in in that regard, you know. As so the, you know, the rest of the of the population is is catching up, waking up. And interesting, um, you said that you were on the uh, the show on the Travel Channel um, just yeah. before the show. I I was I was talking to Tammy and Lavendar, and Tammy said, "Well, this is great timing because today is." Um, Travel day. I thought, what? <laughs> Apparently, somebody declared that today's travel day. So um, <laughs> I had no clue. It's like, okay, yeah, whoever declared it, they, you know, <laughs> who gives them that authority? But, but it 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 is apropos because you're yeah. going to be talking about traveling to all of these well documented and researched hot spots for UFO activity sightings and uh, uh generally yes. the unexplained yeah exactly the um you know the book came about because the publisher uh after um the species almanac uh, they wanted to wanted me to do a follow-up book right away, and they came up with the idea. Um, they called it a UFO bucket list at the time, 
and um, and you know because I've been to so many. And so what they did was is the head of MUFON sent out to all the uh, MUFON state directors to nominate their favorite hotspots. So I collected all the hotspots, and then, uh, of course, I had a, several of my own where I've seen, uh, you know, uh, UAPs in the sky and, uh, you know, and, and even little fleets of them jetting across the sky. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, so what I did was, is, you know, I worked with, um, like for instance, the opening chapter is giant rock in the Integratron, right? Oh, so, yeah. Uh, so giant rock, I know the historian of giant rock. And so I've heard the stories of it, but I worked with her closely to hone in on the the broader story of really how giant rock came into being and of course i know the three sisters the carl sisters who now own the integratron but i also um uh was friends with um two people that were with george in the very beginning when he moved in and moved his family underneath Giant Rock to own the airport, to run the airport there, right? Uh-huh. And so they were there when he he moved his family there because he wanted a more spiritual existence, and he figured being out in the middle of nowhere in nature was going to do that for him. So he was meditating a lot. And um, and all of a sudden he began channeling, and um, I actually have and and reprinted some of those very first channelings, and he was the very first person to channel Ashtar. So wow, I didn't it's know interesting. that. Yes, exactly, and. Uh, one of the gentlemen who also was a channeler, um, we took back to Giant Rock with a bunch of other UFO researchers, a handful of us, I think maybe about 2013. He hadn't been there in a long time. And um, we, you know, we uh, filmed him. We got his whole story on camera. And... Uh, we took him out to Giant Rock where he channeled for the first time since a long time, and we filmed it, and we also got a UAP hanging out over Giant Rock as well. Oh, so, oh wow. Um, so anyway, I, I worked with, uh, you know, all of them, but my longtime dearest friend, Athena, she was there when he first started channeling, she was friends with him and his two wives up until his death. She is still alive and kicking, and she's in her early 80s now, and she is um, sharp as a tack, and um, she was able to relay all of those stories to me um, in the early days that nobody else had heard 
or, with, oh. you know, so I put a lot of these stories in the book. So you get a full rounded blossom of each of these hotspots and what went on there. You know, like, for instance, mm-hmm. the Bradshaw Ranch. I work closely with Tom Dongo, who was our UFO researcher on the ranch for four years, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he knows everything that goes on in Sedona. Um, <clears throat> other segments like uh, Shag Harbor, I worked along with the uh, uh, MUFON investigators who reopened the case and found out a whole bunch more information. Uh, I worked with other MUFON researchers. Uh, if it was their case, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then what, I, what, what you get is you get the, which is really what I like, um, in in a book is you get the when, the where, you get pictures also from the thing. You know, a lot of people always wondered, what does it look like underneath Giant Rock? Well, I've got one of the pictures of the living room uh, under Giant Rock where everyone used to congregate. And um, then you get the whole story. You get to hear about his meeting with Salganda, who was a being from somewhere, uh, uh, I believe they said the interior of Venus, and um, he showed him inside his ship, and he gave him the uh, blueprints on how to build the Integratron, which is a cellular rejuvenation machine which would eliminate sickness, disease, and help to prolong life, and that George, when it was operational, could get 10,000 people. All you had to do was walk in one door and and out the other, and that's all you needed. Um, Unfortunately, it was never turned on. Salgonda, when it was 95% ready, said the people really aren't ready. And so it was never turned on. George passed away. But the second floor of the Integratron is where now they can sound bath. It is a sound chamber unlike anything you've ever felt. So when you're lying on your mouth, uh, mat and you do, they do the singing bowls, you actually feel like you're levitated. You do feel like your cells have been rejuvenated. So, um, so when you're there, I give you things to do. Um, and uh, all the contacts that you need, and then the resources. So if you want to read more about uh, maybe some of the channelings, um, you could go to the Integratron archives and look up some of those channelings and things of that nature. So um, so it's, it's so exciting with all of it because, you know, some of the hotspots are um, – are, um, you know, like Sedona. Um, Sedona has a lot of sightings. I mean, I caught a probe, a uh, a like a bigger than a basketball silver probe that was flying along the side of the road from Bell Rock coming towards me as I was driving towards Bell Rock, and I was able to snap off three pictures of it, and I I put it, put it in the book um, as well, and um, on top of other anomalies, uh, in 98, when I was on Bell Rock, these gigantic orbs um, 
were caught I, I uh, were caught on film with me in the picture, and one of them was all bumped up against the side of my body, and in each one they were milk milk white with different designs going through them. So wow. I, uh, I I actually gave those photos first to um, uh, the psychic Sylvia Brown, and she said, "Oh, those are angels. Those are angels." And um, I intuitively knew that, and I did give it to a few other psychics, and they did say the same thing. I also caught those giant orbs one more time that same year in Santa Monica at the beach, but these had a different pattern going through them, and they weren't as milk white. Um, Some places are a little scarier than others. Where you yeah. might dare to not, you might not want to tread. Um, one being the Stardust uh, Ranch. Uh, I forget the gentleman's name. I have it in the book. John something. He owned the ranch. I believe he passed away last year. Uh, his wife had passed away, but they moved there, and. It was on this strange cycle that every, I think it was 42 or 45 days, a portal would open up and a bunch of gray aliens would come out. And um, he said he fought with them. He took a picture of one, um, which I saw online. It's a little suspect. I don't really, you know, you don't really know. Right? Yeah. It's 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 one of those things, but um, he said he killed a few of them, and um, and that they were trying to abduct his wife. Now I sent in two of my my little reporters who were out in that area, and um, they made a nice donation to his uh, horses because he had a, a horse stable. And so he allowed them to come in and talked with them. They told me the inside of that house was like being inside of a demonic prison. Ew. They said the wall looked like creatures were going to crawl out of it. They were so uncomfortable uh, when they went in their bedroom where a lot of these abductions took place. They said they could barely even go in there. Um, and evidently, they would also come in through the rear of the property as well. So um, now there there were things, you know, like because Skinwalker Ranch is so big, there were thoughts that, some people said he was making it all up because he was trying to sell his ranch for six million when it was really worth three hundred and fifty. Right? So uh-huh. we don't so nobody really knows if it's true. The um um Zach Baggins and Dave Schrader um went and did an investigation into the house, and they caught some pretty strange stuff there. So people want to see it. I'm sure it's on the Travel Channel. It's probably on, what's that, Megan's show, Paranormal something. Um, it's, it's a dark show. Um, 
Anyway, and the other one is the Bradshaw Ranch. Interestingly enough, again, um, one of the ladies who I met through Dr. Frank's group lives in Sedona, and she worked at the Bradshaw Ranch in its heyday. So I had heard all of these stories over the years, um, you know, and just to kind of give it to you a little bit in a nutshell, I won't ruin it all, you know, for people who are going to get the book and read the story, but Bob Bradshaw was a cowboy, a rancher. He owned a Kodak shop uptown. He, when his sons were young, they would, uh, his sons and him would take people horseback riding because he bought acres and acres of property. He expanded it into a cowboy rodeo show. Um, then he built a saloon on his house where people could come and eat dinner, go to the show. Uh, do all kinds of things like that, and uh, you know, and then it was a film, uh, a film ranch. Elvis Presley shot one of his movies there. Um, uh, Joan Crawford, um, and Bob was always, you know, a stuntman or something in the movies there. So lots of movies were shot on his property, and. Um, but uh, he married uh, his, I believe it was his second wife, Linda, and Linda's son, who was in his 20s at the time. Um, Bob walked outside the ranch, and uh, a craft had landed in broad daylight. Freaked wow. him out, turned around, walked back in the house. He goes, he said to Linda, I don't want anything to do with this stuff, whatever. So they had so much phenomena going on in the place by the windmill, people that came to investigate from other countries, from everywhere all over the world, had missing time if they were near the windmill, right? No idea where huh. they were, and then they would just reappear, right? Um, there's an albino Sasquatch that Linda called Big Girl, and she had a distant relationship with her you know not like they saw each other up front but she used to feed her and and she would leave her gifts on the plate you know like sticks and stones and things big foot gift thing and um uh and and this bigfoot had protected her mare because she was pregnant because uh, she would see the white hairs on her mare's stomach in the morning and Aww. she said um yeah um because Tom Dongo, who is the uh, ufologist there in Sedona, uh, he was calling all the ranchers and saying, look, lots of other ranches are having um, their, uh, uh, the embryos or uh, in their calves and their horses and animals are being uh, taken. So really watch your mare. So she knows that this Bigfoot was watching her, her mare. Um, they had an alligator tree between a, 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 a little tiny house that was next to where they built the ranch. And this is one of the oldest homesteads in Sedona area. It's really in the Verde Valley outside of Sedona. And between that, there's a tree called an alligator tree. It's a portal for negativity 
and for positivity. So different things would come out of that portal at different times, right? So um, one night they heard the dogs were barking at something and she went outside and they were barking, looking up at something, and they heard this hissing. And they got the dogs in the house, and the next uh, day they went outside, they were reptilian footprints in the, uh, in the soil there, uh, where, where it was. So that's what was hissing. One night, another craft landed. Little grays were running around the property. They were terrified. This is in the middle of nowhere. I cannot stress to you enough that when I took, when I've gone there twice in the middle of the day, because I would not go there at night, um, <laughs> you feel the veil is so thin, you feel everything is standing there looking at you. And everything in your body tells you to turn around and run, Right. And um, so it's it's a very strange place. I mean, things have, uh, they've caught things coming in and out of um, dimensions uh, uh, with their cameras. Her son caught, you know, they would look out into the field. They see the field. He put his video camera up, and he saw a dinosaur. What? Right, he would did it again uh, in another area, and there was a telephone pole. There's no telephone pole there. It was like it was siphoning through dimensional realities of time. And I, I just have to read you this excerpt, and then I'll go on to another hotspot, or you can ask me another question because <laughs> it is just so bizarre. All right, so the sun is coming home one night. You have to drive down a wash, and on either side of you is brush. Anything could come out of that brush and get you. (laughs) And there's no lights except for your car lights, okay? So imagine that. And as he's driving down with a friend of his, um... All of a sudden, an animal came out of the brush. It was standing on all fours with a shoulder height of approximately four feet. The animal appeared to be a cross between a cat and a horse. The head resembled a cat. It was very large with definite cat eyes, cat ears, and a cat mouth turned down. And yet it had very long hairs all over its face. The legs were extremely long, and the back appeared a bit humped. The tail was similar to a horse's tail, and the body hair hung almost to the ground. It stood in the road for a moment, glaring at the car. It turned and walked slowly off onto the other side. Now, what's particularly interesting is after that animal was seen, Someone in another state reported seeing the exact same animal. In another state. In another state. So did this thing go from one part? Did it was it walking through dimensional portals, going from place to place, or were they just two different things? I mean, 
they're they're just things that baffle your mind, you know. Oh, so well, um, yeah, there's there's so much in this world that is that is not understood or even witnessed. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, but I I sure wouldn't be going there at night either. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, you you shouldn't and you know and when I uh, was speaking at Contact in the Desert earlier this year, a couple approached me and they live in Sedona and they go out and they spend the night at the ranch and they do hear Bigfoot howls uh, at night there and um, they have caught what looks like mantis beings on camera, you know, that are uh, sort of in between dimensions, right? A little see-through, mm. but you can tell uh, by the way it's standing. And um, anyway, they, uh, uh, the gentleman who I met was part of Skinwalker Ranch, uh, beyond Skinwalker Ranch, the Bradshaw Ranch. So... He was on there with them going over it, and they were on the ranch a little bit. So people, uh, if you have Discovery Channel, um, or Max, because Max has Discovery on it, uh, you can uh, go in and watch those episodes. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, it's kind of mind-boggling. That that someone could could make a statement like there's no such thing. You well, know, that's, you know. Yeah, I mean that's like that's according to their experience. But you know, yeah. I mean, you and so many other people know that there is such a thing. Uh, we may not understand it, but just from your description, it certainly sounds like. Um, like a dimensional intersection. Yes. Where you you know you think exactly. you're in the third dimension, and there's an intersection where you can see things that aren't right. in the same dimension with you. That's right. And they sort so, of come yeah. in and out. You know, it was like when I went to investigate uh, um, an abduction case uh, back in the Carolinas. Um, the gentleman took me to where it happened, and then uh, and then when uh, he was put back and rushed home, many uh, and and got in his truck and rushed home with his young son. Um, the rest of the family wasn't there. His backyard is forest, and they were walking out of the forest. So he was walking me and my friend along the lines, and I had a Minolta camera, and I was just snapping pictures. And I actually caught the being on camera. Wow. Yeah, it very strange looking. It, it's legs. Um, it's where our knees are. That's where its legs ended. And then it had a long torso, long arms, a long neck, and a sort of oval head. And uh, it was holding a light. And I knew that that was a dimensional light. And then when I was able to enhance the photo, I saw that it was wearing goggles. 
And I went, oh, uh, I went, oh, those are like um, interdimensional goggles, like we have night vision goggles. Okay. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm picturing you know as you're describing you know really really long torso and short little legs and goggles I'm thinking this guy looks like Mr. Peanut. Very very different looking. Um, The guy was was actually being studied uh, by the government and the CIA, and um, we sent the picture off uh, to uh, his handler. And his response was, oh, my God, why didn't you guys run? And he said, well, we didn't see it at the time. I didn't even see the photos in my camera until the the morning after. But he also mentioned that they knew these beings that – they hadn't seen them since 1958, is what he said. So wow. that's interesting. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, you know, I've met with people that are in these high positions and things, and, you know, they've, they've told me, they said, the, thing, the stuff that is out there nobody would believe and if you could think of the craziest thing of what something would look like or whatever, something even crazier exists. Yeah. So, yeah. Not necessarily on this planet, but things that they've, you know, seen. So, pretty amazing. God. Well, yeah. um I want to, I want to remind our audience that that all of these these things that Craig is is talking about are in his book his latest book UFO Hotspot Compendium and um he's got a a special holiday um offer for um 50% off and having um an autographed copy so, yeah. but I, I do want to also um, talk a little bit about your other books because you're such a great writer, and and it's complete, you know, starseed um, material. So, yes. yeah, the eat your your previous the book before the UFO hotspot, the the ET species almanac. Um, I've had so many people that I've talked to. It's like I love that book. You know, it's it was just fascinating. <laughs> you know, and I mean, you've got drawings, and um, I think if I remember correctly, there were eighty-three that you listed. Eighty-two, but there eighty-two. Yeah, uh, eighty-two. Uh, um, That's how many I could fit in because I had to be under three hundred pages, said the publisher. So. Um, so that's how many I could fit in. Yeah, but that I mean it's just it's so well done because it you give, you know, the the uh the species, the origin, their um their their mission, their culture, what's their prime directive, mm-hmm. you know, just a um very technology. very well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, yeah, what level their technology is and mm-hmm. so many people and belief systems. And the universal and belief origin. systems. 
Yeah. 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 Very important. Very and, important. Yeah. Well, you're going to be happy to hear that I will be releasing the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, the documentary, probably in spring of 2024. We are, oh. we are in the final stages of uh, just sewing it together. We just have some loose ends to uh, do. I'm very proud of it. People are going to be blown away because you're going to be hearing from the actual contactees who are having face-to-face with human extraterrestrials, some not, and also with hybrids, right? Like, we don't mm-hmm. know a lot about the mantis culture. I, I've been friends with this girl for the longest time. I just loved her so much, see her at all the conferences. <laughs> uh, and I come to find out she's a mantis hybrid. Wow. So it's interesting, and we do, we do go through how all different kinds of hybrids on Earth come into being, you know, that have Earth oh, wow. and extraterrestrial things. There's many different ways, and we have um, experts uh, that are definitely uh, going to explain it all to you. And um, and we go through a lot of the races that are in the book. I, I did add a few uh, others in there uh, just because I thought they were interesting races that I couldn't fit in um, mm-hmm. before. And um, so I'll, uh, you know, so if anybody hasn't subscribed on my website, Autobiography of, on anet.com, you hit the subscribe button. Um, when it's ready, you'll you'll get an email uh, to that will give you a release date. So, um, so that's exciting. And then oh, that's the, so so exciting. And oh, you have to be gonna, sure be it. sure to um, you know let me know so that you can come back on the radio show because. Um, I mean, the ET Species Almanac was such a, a, you know, success. I mean, people, everybody that I've talked to just loves it. And, and it's like, I, I just felt a resonance when I, when I, it's like, I never heard of these people, but I knew they were my people. Um, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I, I do let us know. You, I have to tell you this cute thing. Right when I decided I was going to make uh it into a documentary and was setting up everything. I got a letter from a young boy who probably was maybe six or seven, and he said, Craig Campobasso, I think your book, The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, is so great. That's why I'm asking you to turn it into a documentary. You are a film producer, so you can do it. (laughs) He says, right? I hope so, because I really want it to happen. Love, Alex. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And then he wrote his little stick figure with a big smile that said me. So 
Uh, I framed it, and I have it on my wall because I just thought that was so great. And, um, you know, I thought it was very cool. So we definitely will do that. And then on the the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, my book series, my four-part book series, I'm – I'm writing two prequel books now. I'm done with the first prequel book. I'm halfway through the second prequel book. And when, um, uh, and I've already gotten all the artwork done uh, for those books as well. And then I'm either going to do one of two things. We, we may do a release of the, uh, E.T. Species Almanac in hardcover and with all brand new color pictures. Oh, cool. And But the publisher is hemming and hawing. So if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to do a color book of just all of the different species. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. And, oh, you know, yeah. with what we can do now, I mean, you know, I've worked, I've been working with this fabulous artist in England, and uh, she did everything for my books and for um, the documentary and everything. She is just so tuned in. Um, she's just amazing. So, uh, so to be, uh, very, very interesting, and you know, we did. We we got to, you know, we did a little CGI on some of the ETs in the documentary as well. So, um, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, your 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 let's say um, triumphant documentary called "Stranger at the Pentagon." Um, yeah. <laughs> winning every award that you know every every you know film festival that you entered it, it you know you won of the award for yes. in the sci-fi and um it was a a short film kind of as a um a teaser for the full feature film and that's something that that I'm really really uh looking forward to I know it's it's a it's it's a huge project and the yeah. the big thing is the funding but right. but you have to because you have to fund it yourself. You can't you can't yeah, let so a, a studio get a hold of it and, and yeah. Okay, all you millionaires yeah. that are listening. <laughs> that's it. Call Craig because that's yeah. all I need. Everything is ready to go. Um, you know, we are shopping it around to uh backers and things of that nature and uh you know, nothing Nothing uh, has uh, felt right yet. I mean, I have turned down a few places just because of the integrity. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they wanted to change stuff, make it contemporary. And I'm like, you can't. (laughs) It's set in in stone in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, because it's already happened. It's history. And you can't alter that. Absolutely. That's right. And by the way... Um, the short film is the very first film ever made 
about uh, true extraterrestrial contact. It's it's uh, it's not a sci-fi movie. It's based in truth and based in reality. So that was a milestone right there. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, and if people want to watch it, it's on uh, Amazon Prime, or you can watch it on the strangeratthepentagon.com website. Um, I also have all of Dr. Frank's uh, out-of-print books there, Stranger at the Pentagon, Outwitting Tomorrow, that Valiant Thor was an advisor on, UFO Conspiracy, Millennium 7. Um, I think we have a few Valiant Thor T-shirts left. There's posters. Um, I think I, if you guys are a fan of the movie, I think I have nine DVDs left. And once they're gone, they're gone. So um, you can just order those right on uh, the Stranger at the Pentagon website. Okay, great. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, I am I am just I'm really excited about all of your projects and it crossed my mind to ask you it's like do you actually sleep? No, I I get up <laughs> um I get up every morning between 3 and 4 and I write and that's what um that's what my guides did to me when they woke me up back when I was 26. And they said that's the best time for writing because all the brain waves are asleep and that it was easier to uh, receive information that way. And, uh, and I do find that because, you know, when I, if I try and write during the day, if I have time, you know, you're always, uh, the phone's ringing, uh, you know, something's always going on. So, so it is a nice time where you just have a, I about three, four hours all to yourself just to focus on it. So, yeah, yeah, nice and uh, well. You know, Lavendar used to get on an airplane and just fly from one coast to the other, and then turn around and and fly back. And she'd have you know, like six <laughs> hours to write, and she'd be up above the thought streams. Oh my and, God, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, and the and the of course the titanium. It was very conducive, so I mean, she she just she received a lot of information and did a lot of writing, just, just sitting on an airplane like an office, and you you know, land in New York, yeah. get on the next plane, go back to California, <laughs> and and that's that's how she did a lot of her stuff. Oh my gosh! Wow! Yeah, yeah, but you know. <laughs> Getting up at, at three o'clock in the morning—that's that's probably a, a lot, a lot less trouble. <laughs> you just wake up and it start. Is, yeah, it is. Yeah, but I—I I mean, you know, now even with the time change, I'm like, oh my god, it's bedtime. I look at the clock and I'm like, it's like a quarter to six. I can't go to bed now. You know, so I try and stay awake, but I usually fall asleep anywhere between 7.30 and 8. And then yeah, on a good night, I can, uh, I'll try and stay up till 9. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? <laughs> 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 so 
like an old man, but it's just my rhythm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when you get in, I mean, it's obviously working for you. Yeah. I mean, you are so <laughs> prolific, um, and, you know, all the things that you do that you, you're involved with, uh, you know, it's working for you, so don't change. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I mean, it's it's is even even if I wanted to lie in bed, all I'm feeling is I have to get up. I have to get up. I have to get up. So, you know, so it just doesn't work. So I just get up and make some coffee, wash my face, brush my teeth, and start. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just so proud of you, Craig, and it's the, it's really an honor to be friends um, with a person who's really making a difference, and you're getting the oh, truth out there. Thank you. You know, you're getting thank the truth out so there, much. and and there there are so many so many people whose whose information is just off, or they made it up, or they you know they channeled it from from you know. The Santa Claus or something. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's just really, it's it's really nice that that you have that kind of dedication and that you have a really clear line. And I, and I know that yeah. um, you know, Valiant Thor and his whole crew and the the people that you know in Mufon and you know all over Hollywood, you really have a great um, uh, pool of resources. Yes, and you know, I am now part of the newly formed group called the Hollywood Disclosure Alliance. Um and you know, it's uh it's um uh you know, Stephen Bassett, uh Paul Hynek, um uh Stephen Greer. I mean, everybody who's in this, this is sort of like a a sort of conglomeration. Uh, Steve used to do these a long time ago where we would get together every single month, uh, all people in the film business, and try and help each other and promote positive projects. But now this is kind of going on on a bigger scale as well. And uh, we had our first meeting at the famous Musso and Frank's on Hollywood Boulevard about three, four weeks ago. And um, so, so I mean, everyone's really pushing towards disclosure and uh, everything. Richard Dolan's part of it, of course, Nick Pope, you know, everybody, everybody who's you know, up there and has been working towards this for a very, very long time. Yeah, high-profile so, people. High-profile Yeah, and you know what? For sure. Hollywood has, so I mean, the film industry has such a, a, a powerful potential for, you know, shaping um, public consciousness, you know, yeah. and that's, I mean... That's a very it's a very powerful tool, and I'd like to see, um, you know, a group like yours that that are kind of unifying and using, you know, the power of film. Yes, that's to, right. You know, to educate, to enlighten, and um, help everyone to kind of move into the 21st century 
way of thinking, which is much more, you know, global, humanitarian, personal responsibility. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And and I will tell you, the documentary will really open people's eyes as well. Yeah, because you're hearing it straight from the mouth of, and in some of the cases, they have actual pictures of um, the beings they're in contact with, which are in the documentary. Oh, excellent. So, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. So, um, so do you want me to tell everybody how, if they want to get the hotspot book for half off what to do? Sure, go ahead. Um, well, for your listeners, if you guys uh, want either of my books, Hot UFO Hotspot or The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, um, I will sell them for half off, which is 10 bucks, uh, 5 bucks shipping, so it's 15 total. You can just email me. You can do it through uh, my website or uh, my email address is craigcampobasso at gmail.com. Um, and uh, you can figure out the spelling. You, you have it there on your well, website. Well, yes, we have it published you, along with the show. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you uh, and you know you can get more than one book if you do. The shipping will go down. Um, and if you want, uh, you know, uh, for Christmas presents, whoever you want me to sign them to, you know, just tell me who you want me to sign them to, and then we'll get them out. So, um, and then I'll tell you, you know, how you can pay through Zelle or Venmo or that kind of stuff. So. Um, and just say that you, you know, uh, from the Starseed Hotline. You know, you were okay. listening to the Starseed Hotline, so I know. Okay, yeah, so you'll know uh, it's it's our family. That's so, right. yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. So you can go to um, autobiography of an ET dot com um, and then forward slash other books because you have so many books. and um, right. Or you can email Craig, and uh, just if you look at the show description, first sentence has the correct spelling, and uh, it's just craigcampobasso at gmail.com. And just, yeah, make sure that you, uh, that you mention in the email that you heard him on our show, and, uh, and that you're part of the family. Yes, and, and uh, you know, if... Uh, you want ET species almanac or hotspot or both and how many copies and to who and then I'll send you the total but don't buy them through the website because you won't get the discount on the website you have to email me personally oh but good point inter- right but on that same front page website is my book series my four part book series the autobiography um, of an extraterrestrial saga so if people, if they're really into this, those are like mind-blowing books, and they're um, filled with information and uh, spiritual zingers that will just uplift you. Um, and the lead character, Tehran, is a Pleiadian, and he was born um, dualistic in a society that is all fully conscious. So 
you go along in the first three books and learn how Jerome learns to become fully conscious. So you actually become the lead character and learn how to do it yourself. That's one thing I love about those books. And um, you can you can buy them individually or you can click a link and buy them all, all four at once in either hardcover or softcover. So, and, of course, I'll autograph them. You just let me know who. So, okay. um, yes, we have a little ET empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, and that empire is in really good hands because I know you have an impeccable level of integrity with the information, with the truth, yeah. and um, and it's it's about it is about the truth, and it's not about the marketing. So um, right, exactly. get it out there. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. All right. Okay, so. well, Craig, it's 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 probably getting close to your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've had a long day and I appreciate you. You you were teaching a class right before the show and and you just went right straight and, you know, jump through hoops to be here and we so appreciate yes. that. Oh, anytime. I love you guys so much. I'm always happy to come on. Oh, thanks so much, Craig. And you have (laughs) a wonderful holiday, and um, we will look forward to news about the documentary in the spring. Yes, absolutely. I'll let you guys know for sure. Okay. That sounds great. All right. Well, you you get a good sleep and uh, have wonderful holidays, and we'll talk to you in the spring. Yes. Night, everybody. Okay. Good night. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, we will be back two weeks from tonight and with our Christmas show, so be sure to tune in. Until then, hold compassion in your heart instead of judgment. Until next time, good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.